Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Today on the show, I sit down for one of the most important conversations that I've had since starting this podcast with my guest, Cheeto Bavavera. We talk about racism. We talk about its prevalence in our society. We talk about white privilege. We talk about what it means to be an ally. We talk about the reality that it's not, it's not enough to say you're not racist. We live in a time when we need to be anti-racist. Cheeto provides me with perspective. She provides me with a very safe place. I, would, I, I like to believe that we provided that for each other. To have a conversation that is on the minds of our city, on the minds of our province, our country, and hopefully on the minds of our world. Join me today for a very heartfelt, deep, transparent, and vulnerable conversation with Cheeto Bavavera. Cheeto, I'm going to open with maybe the, maybe the, the toughest question today. How do I pronounce your last name? The M is silent. Oh, so okay, thank you. Bavarira. Bavarira. Yeah, Bavarira. Yeah. Is there a French role to it? The R's? No, it's not. It's really okay. long, complicated story of my life. Well, we don't have to go. It's Cheeto and Samantha. Is that your middle name? It's in brackets. I'm looking, I'm creeping on your LinkedIn. So totally. Cheeto and I have chatted before, but we're just getting to know each other. And we're yeah. here to have a very real conversation today. I'm really excited to let you in on it. And this is this is the perfect example of even if no one listened, I would still be honored to be having this conversation. Aww, thank you, Tyler. I'm so excited. I know the way we kind of came full circle to meeting, it was it's a great story in itself. So I'm really, really excited. Well, I'll tell a little bit of backstory. I about three weeks ago, and all of when the realities of some of the racial, what's been happening in our world in the last in the last three weeks, we're just kind of getting into the end of June. Really started to get on my radar, and I started reaching out to some trusted people in my my circle and say, like, man, like, what should we do? And we need to talk to people. And I looked at my podcast guests, and I'm like, man, I do not have enough diversity on here. And my friend Emily, who's my social media manager, I believe, connected with you through a Work Nicer Slack channel. Is that do I remember? Is that the correct story? How we got here? Yes, we unworked nice Slack chat, but it was LinkedIn. She just did a call out and somebody saw me and oh, tagged me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sure. And she's like, Which great. Is such a commentary on the world we live in of like one degree right? of separation, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. And I want to be transparent about it. you and I got because you, you're an online business strategist, you're a digital marketer. Yeah. So you and I connected on that level. So we got mm-hmm. on the phone, we kind of had that 20 minute conversation. Then all of a sudden the question of race came up. And I remember you looked at me and you're like, Tyler, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was already ready to kind of walk away from this conversation with, you know, just feeling we we weren't getting to the real heart of it. And then we had the real conversation. That's the way mm-hmm. I remember that phone call. Totally. And I think we're like, how many people are having this exact conversation where they're wanting to go and address it and talk about race and what is currently going on right now in the world, in in Canada and Calgary, you know, and we got there. So we're like, that was magic. We need to it have took us this. about 15 to 20 minutes. Like in hindsight, mm-hmm. that was pretty impressive. I'm proud of us for getting there. Because <laughs> we were like sussing each other out, right? We're like, this is safe. Are you going to be offended? And you're like, this is not a problem. I want to check a box. And I kind of had this conversation and I'm good. So all those things were going through my head. So I was going to let you down very gently if we didn't get there. Because I didn't know, I'm a marketer. So I'm like, do we have the same audience? What's what's the mutual value, right? I'm really thinking like- Oh, nice. I I appreciate you had your businesswoman hat on as well. I appreciate that very much, actually. (laughs) But to your point, and we were talking a little bit before I just pushed the record button of how many people are, are- living in fear and scared to have this conversation. 
for so many reasons. And so for yourself as, as, a, as a woman of color in Calgary running a business, what has the last three weeks been for Lou? Like what's your, I'm really curious, what's your experience been like in Calgary, but also with everything that's been going on globally? You know, it was interesting because I think when you got on the call, you asked me how I was doing and I was like, oh, COVID, but I'm tired. And I don't know if you picked out, I stopped and said I was tired. And if anyone, I'm sure all of us work with black people, diverse people, I hope you do. And they are tired right now because this is something, this is trauma, right? We've been saying these atrocities have been happening in the workplace. And I think now with um, the murder of George Floyd, people watching, you know, a man die in eight minutes in front of everyone's no, eyes was traumatic. So there was a lot of trauma and anger that black people usually bring, but we're never allowed to release. Right. We, we, we know in our community. That comment, that comment in itself is, is so problematic that we know because when you hold something inside, mm-hmm. it just eats away at you. It does. Right. So, you know, and when you asked me how I was doing, I was like, I'm tired because yes, I've been supporting my allies and my friends and educating, but it's also on us to do that. And sometimes it's like, we've been doing this for years as soon as as early as i can remember trying to explain myself or where i was coming from or situation i experienced has been traumatic and i had to relive that sometimes and saying wow people i can die people i care about can die based on our skin color that is very much a reality for a demographic of people that's very much a reality and i think some people have never wanted to say that's a reality so well it's 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 a it's a hard thing to hear out loud Mm-hmm. Because no matter what your beliefs are, we're all still humans. And to think that and to to live and I, I didn't, like you and I talked about a little bit, something you said, like, you know, as one, as a woman, two, as a woman of color, getting on a business call, having to be concerned about how am I going to be taken seriously? Or is there going to be a, a filter put on me that because of those factors and as a white male, I have not had that same experience. Mm-hmm. And that's just even in the day-to-day business world, let alone taking that up to actually having to be concerned about your your life, your personal safety. Mm-hmm. So you think of all the layers from um, personal safety to how I, you know, I show up in the workplace to um, the value I bring. If I was a black man, you know, constantly trying to say, I'm not a threat to you. You know, if you are a black man, you're trying to always tell society, I'm not a threat. I'm not going to hurt you because people can weaponize being fearful of you. That's a real thing. You know, we've been seeing that with what happened with Amy Cooper, how she weaponized the situation. She knew that this bird watcher saying, I'm going to call the police and say a black man threatened me. She knew the power that had, and she expected him to retreat. But even the fact that people are very knowledgeable of that power and will use it accordingly is, is very real. And we've seen that. That's so, oh, you put it that. So living in Calgary, how long have you lived in Calgary for? I've been lived in, you know, the in the beautiful Blackfoot territory, as I like to call it. I love okay. saying I live in Blackfoot territory. And people say, well, you live outside. I live in Blackfoot territory. And I've been here for like 12 years. You know, I'm pretty much a transplant. I'm an East Coaster. I'm from like going to school in Halifax. Go Huskies, always. Nova Scotia. <laughs> and I'm a big football fan. Loyalty runs deep. I appreciate always. that. You know, anyone listening from Santa Fe, we got problems, right? But um yeah, and, and and Calgary's been home. Like honestly, I think I've been in Calgary more than I've even been in Halifax, and that's home, which is crazy to me. Yeah, well, it's Calgary. I've been here. I'm from Montreal originally. I've been here oh just over 20 years. I I call myself a Calgarian now. Or <laughs> I'm from this part of the world. I go back home and I feel I feel like a tourist. I I literally do. It's, it, which is funny. So even 
getting back to like, you know, well, obviously we're going to talk about this locally, globally, nationally, uh, personally, <laughs> how has been your experience being here in this part of the country, uh, in, in Calgary, in, Al- in Alberta, we can talk it on a broader scale. You know, and it's interesting because when I think we look at the U.S. or Canada, I th- people say, oh yeah, U.S. is racist, but Canada's not, right? We're not because, you know, it's racism with a smile, right? Canadians are oh, young. Ouch. Oh, ouch, yeah, okay. The Canadian nice- version of racism, that's it, oh. Yeah, so that makes me feel shame all of a sudden. <laughs> you know? And I think when we talk about what my experiences in Calgary, um, I've had across the board. I mean, I came in work. I've worked in corporate, you know, nonprofit, and now I work for myself. And an interesting statistic: I think they say a lot of Black women are becoming the fastest growing entrepreneurs. And I, and before I was like, that's great, but it's sad because they probably didn't find a place in corporate they find it in place doing it out of ne- doing it out of necessity not necessarily opportunity absolutely you know absolutely and i've had experiences where and i want to just make sure people understand i'm going to use a term called white privilege and that's mm-hmm. a very uncomfortable term. I'm glad you brought it up because I like to talk about that a little. I've brought it up with yeah. a few of my white friends and they get very yeah. uncomfortable with that term very quickly. Because privilege really means like, oh, I've, I've, I'm up here, right? And, 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 you know, people be like, well, I had a hardship. I had a hard life. And yes, we can all acknowledge we, have, we can share hardship, economic, financial. We can all share hardship. But white privilege means that your hardship has never been indicative to the color of your skin. Yeah. It's never been the color of your skin. If anything, it's benefited you. People of color, our skin color has added another layer of hardship, which everyone experiences. And I think understanding why privilege is having that lens. People are waking up putting a lens saying, I never knew that my skin color advanced me in such a way that not only that, but it you know really you know, hindered a lot of people. So when I say white privilege is really acknowledging that your way of living, the way you grew up is very different from a black person who's constantly thinking about how they show up in the world. And it's an interesting concept when I think about it myself. It's a one thing to acknowledge it and under, and just even understand it as a concept versus thinking of it as a negative label or something you need to like. I've I've talked mm-hmm. to a few of my white friends, and there's a little bit of tendency that they want to become defensive about it. It's mm-hmm. like this is just understanding a concept and a reality because it's it's a construct essentially. Then, but I it's so interesting. This turns so personal for people, which I get it. I'm not mm-hmm. begrudging that, but it's like, well, let's just talk about the white privilege. Well, I didn't have that. I'm like, it immediately becomes an I and a defensive kind of status mm-hmm. versus just talking about. That's been my experience because I'm a few weeks ago, it wasn't a term that was really on my radar as I've been doing a lot of reading and trying to and working hard to expose myself to, I need to learn and, and think about things differently. So therefore I need new information. Mm-hmm. The term of ally, I think yours, my conversation with you took me from even being like, well, it's not good enough, Tyler, to be not racist. That's table mm-hmm. stakes. It's We're now living in a time where anti-racism is required to actually change the world we live in. These are new terms that even for me in the last three weeks, were kind of way out on the fringe that are now being pulled into my day-to-day life. And Mm -hmm. it's been an interesting journey to just learn and try to appreciate what it even means to be Mm -hmm. as a white person. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing people actually saying, what is it? And then I'll give you some examples of, you said, ask me my experiences in Calgary where white privilege Mm -hmm. has definitely shown its face. And this is where I think people think racism is just overt, right? saying a racial slur is racism, then people are like, I don't say that, okay. But you're supporting white privilege when you say stuff, I've had people say to me, oh wow, you're really articulate for a black person. Cause you're already assuming a black person's not articulate. You already made that assumption. So that's not, that's a backhanded compliment to me, right? 
you already came mm. to the assumption and is it's like a positive but you need to check yourself how many people i wonder listening have said oh someone's like this for this person right because you already had an assumption mm. um my name when i i submit a resume how many times have you looked at the person's name because it's easier to say i've gone to work where they said oh you're samantha i'm like no i'm cheeto oh no but we can call you samantha and the immigrant experience is how many of you have co-workers who have an english name and that's not their real name they have conformed to going by an anglo-saxon name because it's easier for you we have to deal with that Right. Yeah. When you put it that way, that sounds that sounds like white privilege for sure. That's a privilege being Tyler and Tyler yeah. is easy and they can call you Tyler Cheeto. Can we call you Samantha? You know? I I have to remind myself that. Or I've been in places where I've been put in leadership positions and they've not looked at me. They've looked at my assistant, a white male or a white female for answers, not thinking, I'm like, hi, I'm I'm the lead. You can talk to me. Or I had a sit down, it was called aggressive once in a, in a team. And it really hurt me because I worked in service industry. I've worked in events. I know how important to make a team. And I actually pride myself. And if you work under me, the, the level and awareness I am of creating a great team dynamic is always at my forefront. I stand for my team. That's how I like to run the way I coordinate with teams. And they said the client said I was, I was aggressive and it hurt, but when I look at their clients, I was leading a group of men that were 40, 50 white corporate men, and they weren't used to a woman like me saying, no, you can't do this. I'm sorry, that's not in our agenda. I had to tell people who probably had no, never had someone like me tell them what to do, and I was labeled as aggressive, but I was just doing my job. I wasn't offensive, I wasn't rude, but they didn't like it. They didn't like so someone like me. So what I'm hearing also loud and clear is there's a bit of a, like potentially a double hit because you're also a woman which presents a level of challenges regardless. And then you add in the color of your skin, it compounds the problem. And it, right? Yes, uh, yes it's, it's, it, takes, it takes two to create the situation you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Totally, because my organization trusted me as a leader, right? They had, I proved myself to them. But when you have people, give black people, people of color, that platform, who we're talking to may not receive us as leaders. So how many people are like, oh great, we have a leader, but are they challenged with the audience they're supposed to lead because they're getting resistance? Because I'm not used to someone like you. Are you sure you're here? Are you in the right place? People have asked me that if I was lost. It's like, no. Uh, that's just a whole level of uh, not only do you have to perform and, and like not only is doing our roles, whatever those are, can be challenging enough. You mm -hmm. add that extra layer on top of it. It's just that makes everything that much uh -huh. harder, makes that much more difficult. Tyler, when I worked in corporate or anything, I know and I think a lot of people of color and black people tell their kids you work harder, faster because we have to prove that we're not the stereotype. I remember coming in for a corporate job. I would come in at 6 a.m. I'd leave at 8. Just so they, I have no, I'm not questioned. That's how the, when you have black homeowners, please know they're operating at 110% to just be seen at the same level. Because we know we can never disappoint or even live to a stereotype that someone may have of us. That's an emotional labor. We corporate people of color, I'm telling you, are carrying to be better than you then white people or the company or society thinks of us. We're always working harder. So I'm in a corporate environment. I'm listening to this because that's the goal is putting out some <laughs> provocative content that my audience can learn from and take it on and hopefully change. That's my biggest, my goal in the world. If someone listens and takes on a slightly different shift after listening, yeah. it was worth it. 
so what what advice would you give in those environments when we look around and we have people of color on our teams we have we have we have a mix what can we do i'm saying we the proverbial we mm-hmm. as as potential people who are really resonating with what you're saying right now and trying to be as try to be as neutral but as prescriptive as i can in these comments yeah what advice would you give them like how how can we how can i I'll forget the we. How can I, as a white male, mm-hmm. who might be doing some of these things unconsciously because I wasn't aware of them and I'm on the journey of becoming aware, right. what can I do differently? What advice would you give me to break out of the mold? Well, thank you so much, Tyler, because the fact that our conversation came because you were aware there was a problem. You're like, hey, there is something going on. We created a place where we could listen and then we had a conversation. So I think if anyone's coming with that, please come from that starting point. But there are three things that I do recommend people do. I think the first thing is make space and don't take it up. I mean, if you're going to have this conversation- Oh, that's such good advice. Absolutely, I hope so. (laughs) On so many fronts, that's great advice. (laughs) I think in general, in life, I think too many people are listening to talk and not listening to listen. That's a whole other conversation. But make space and don't take it up. So if someone's brave enough to tell you they experience it, honor it realize wow they this is a real life experience and it's not your job to poke holes or like listen to me then kind of like well is that really racism does that really happen i had a i told an experience of going to sylvan lake and not being served and my friend who lives in sylvan lake was like are you sure they must have been really busy like no i sat there for 30 minutes hand up and they walked past us so we don't want to tell our stories because already you're taking space. You're already feeling your guilt or like, that's not true. You're not even saying, wow, that really happened to you. I'm so sorry. So please take space. I like what you said about sometimes how it does trigger a sense of guilt or a sense of like, (laughs) I know that's wrong. So rather than just saying, I hear you, there's this little defensiveness that kicks in and that's a trick to keep that at bay. And you got to, you got to reel it in. You have to be very deliberate. I think if you weren't defensive, I think that was a problem. So even the feeling of defense, (laughs) a natural reaction, you're like questioning it. Is that really happened? I wouldn't do that. Did that really happen to you? But don't say that to the person because you're not you belittling or trivializing my experience, right? Um, the second thing is recognize your blind spots, right? Recognize that you haven't walked in an immigrant's shoes, a black woman's shoes, and you got to recognize that I don't have the answers. I don't know what this feels like because I think too many times we are not acknowledging that other narrative, right? Because and it's, of course you haven't walked in my shoes. And if you make a mistake, that is okay. You, if you're going to be an ally, please do not fear making mistakes or saying the wrong thing. That's actually expected because it's what happens after we make mistakes. We learn. <laughs> Business. You learn a lot from our failures. People want to talk about their wins, but our failures lead us to our wins. So same here. Lean into the failure because what happens after is most important. No, our wins just leave us thinking we're more awesome. And that's really not a place of learning. <laughs> yeah, it's ego-driven. Right. Yeah. 100%. So, um, realize you, you if you're gonna try to do this, you're gonna make mistakes, and that is okay. You're supposed to. I'm expecting you to. If you're not making mistakes, I'm like, what's wrong? Okay, something's wrong. <laughs> if you're not making mistakes, you don't. Have to, no one's perfect. And lastly, like, stand up and show up. Like, if you have a diverse team, if you are a leader, if you're on a diverse team, if you take money from the community, and those are black people too, your silence is deafening. Your silence is deafening. And you being complicit. So um, I think we got to this because I know before our call, I was like, Tyler, I looked you up before our call. And I don't see where you, I went on your Twitter. I went on your LinkedIn. I went everywhere. I was like, what, where does he stand on this issue? 
and people will be looking to your company, to your team, saying, where do they stand, right? So just say it, we're learning, we're listening. Right now, I think currently the top five books in the New York Times are anti-racism books. The top five books right now, people are doing the work. So guess what? If you are somebody, especially in Calgary, thinking, I don't have diversity, I don't think my, my, my audience is going to change, guess what? There's people who are going to be allies, who are going to come in with these anti-racism lens, these glasses, and they will call you out. They will call you out. They which know. is unfortunate. Which reality? That is how change happens. Sometimes mm -hmm. it, it happens with you. Got to get. You got to get. You know. You got to get a skin knee now and again. <laughs> yeah, it's not just black people's burden. Everyone. I mean, we're having people from immigrant communities saying, "How have we contributed to perpetuating, you know, white privilege? Because we are simulating so much, and we do take up the biases of the new country." I worked in anti-racism work, and so many newcomers didn't understand Aboriginals. They thought they were just, you know, people weren't able to survive, and they were picking up the nuances of Canadians. They were really thinking, not understanding the history, and we were having workshops saying, do you know Aboriginal people went through this? They were like, oh my goodness. They had no idea. Well, so, it's interesting. There's the, there's the human psychology of wanting mm -hmm. to fit in, coming in from the outside to a new world, very like uh, just completely new set of beliefs and values. Mm -hmm. And if you don't educate yourself, you will pick up the biases of the environment. You're like we're very adaptable that way as humans, yeah. and that's not always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think I didn't think about it. But also, you're almost striving to fit in because you want to like establish yourself and and move your life in, so, in a forward direction. Yeah. How many people of color have heard you know a racial joke towards black people, but they never said anything because. I don't want to not fit in with the workplace. I don't want to, there's a joke at yeah. happy hour. I'm not going to say anything because I'm going to be uncomfortable and I just want to fit in and advance like everyone else, right? Those are burdens that other people of color also are perpetuating and holding space for. That's so interesting. Yeah. How could, yeah. We, as, as you laid out so simply and so articulately, <laughs> which I love the, your passion behind it, but thinking about it that way, it just opens my eyes to so many of the little nuances that when you add them all together, it, it, it stops change from happening. Mm -hmm. And that's why people say, I'm not racist. It's like, it's not okay to be like, I'm not racist now. The yeah. new wave is like, are you anti-racism? Do you have this lens where you can hear these microaggressions from asking someone to change their name to maybe not inviting someone to an office social because I've heard you don't fit in here. Usually when someone gets laid off or doesn't get the job, because I know people, Calgary's an interesting place. It's who mm -hmm. you know. And I know people from, you know, other places in Canada, Toronto, Vancouver, the world, and they say, Calgary is a very interesting place to do business. It's really about who you know, right? And even if I do know the right person who told me about a job, great, you're my ally, you're helping me get access, but I'm entering an arena where I don't know if they have the same lens as me. I'm also saying, great, you're an ally, and you can be like, I'm an ally, but please know the work for your person that you're amplifying their voice. I'm assessing the workplace saying, are they an ally? You're right. championing me, but where I'm walking to, I'm always assessing my arena. Is this a safe space? I'm constantly saying, is this a safe space? Do these people value me? Are they going to think I am, they're going to hold their biases against me? And that's, an, again, another extra burden that we we have to navigate when we walk into different rooms and setting is is it safe and how safe is it for me to be myself because we have to dumb down our blackness to fit in to corporate calgary to society oh my god dumb down your blackness that's an intense statement it's just things that i don't have to deal with as a white male like yeah. flat out to hear you to hear you say it one human to another it's just man mm -hmm. it just makes life so much more challenging 
to have yeah. to deal with that. And it is reality. There's nothing you're saying that I would question or go, you know, yeah. it's just different degrees and, and, and where a uh, couple to, well, I love make space. Don't take it up. Love, love that on so many levels, mm-hmm. you know, recognize your blind spots, you know, and stand up and show up silent. Your silence is deafening. And I think number three, I think is almost more, could be more, pr- pr- you know, in Canada, I had a conversation with my mom. And my mom, I grew up in Quebec. My mom's like, wait, you didn't grow up with a racist bone in your body. I said, mom, yeah, but I grew up in a household where fundamentally in a small town, if anyone was different, they were disliked. Well, that's not racism. I was like, well, wait a second, mom, let's unpack this a little bit. But anyways, I don't want to go too far down the road, but it was very interesting, her version of what wasn't one thing, Mm -hmm. but then being discriminatory against anyone who was different. Well, that was okay. That wasn't racism. I'm like, whoa, okay, yes, but they're not that, they're not distant relatives like this is all kind of one in the same belief structure and we got into it it was a short you know mom conversations are always tricky to navigate but it was it was our first conversation we will have more (laughs) but it was interesting how she violently defended that we were never that but oh yeah that's just because that's where we lived i'm like whoa wait a second here it took me a lot of years to get to drop those beliefs off that i learned growing up in that environment because yes there's resistance there will always be resistance and i I think some maybe some people listening to this and as you explained there was resistance in conversations you're having and i've seen them be as overt where people are racist right they're proud we and i think that's where people go i'm not that person who is we picture the extreme white neo-Nazi yeah. like. Race. You know what? How many trucks I've seen Alberta with the Confederate flag rolling down? How many? I've yeah, seen. I've seen. I've seen a few. I can picture a, a few lot. in my mind's eye That's right now. Homegrown, yeah. and we have no association to that history. But people have taken up that identity. There are a lot of people mm-hmm. with that Confederate flag right here. They're making it over it. Whether I know, I'm not approaching anyone with that truck. Number one, and then there's those who who know it exists. They're like, yeah, there's racism, but it's it. It supports me. It doesn't hinder me. Why will I dismantle something <laughs> that that supports me? It's I, I like to think of a pie. If I give you part of the pie, Tyler, if you give me your part of your pie, Tyler, this is pie for you, right? Some people are thinking this as like, uh, well. That's yeah, I know that's the scar- the scarcity versus abundance mindset just in itself, mm-hmm. right there. So people are like, oh, if we have more black people, there'll be people I'm not used to work with, or I'm gonna have less. So I so there's a scarcity of less. I like to call it less pie for everyone. There's not pie, everybody. We have enough pie to go around in the world. And then the, the, the more perspectives we bring to the table, it actually creates more pie. That's my view. Exactly. I, I try to always bring an abundance mindset, but, and who doesn't like pie? You know, uh, but, you know but you're right. A, sen- a sense of scarcity, a sense of protectionism, a sense of like, well, mm. what's in it for me? And all those, those things are very, are very human. And when you apply it to this criteria, it just makes it, it just adds another layer that's holding it, another anchor that's holding it in place. Absolutely. And then you got the people like, you know, your mom or your friends were like, I'm not, right? They don't identify that because they're not of these three levels. They don't, they're not mm-hmm. overt. They maybe are not even aware of the system and saying, hey, I don't, I'm not changing the system. But, you know, if you're saying I'm not racist and that's your work, you're doing the surface level work by saying, checking a box. I'm not racist. I don't do these things. I don't subscribe to this. But you're not trying to to even even the playing field. That's what's problematic. You are contributing to white supremacy. You're part of it. You're helping with your complacency, right? You're and people don't want to admit my lack of understanding or being complicit or being silent is actually that's why we will say you're racist. That's why people would come for you saying you are because you've been complicit and you're still advancing. The other layers I just talked about, the overt, yep. the people who are defending it, you're supporting them. You by are not part tearing of- it, by not yeah. by not actively tearing, working to tear yeah. that down. Mm-hmm. 
So, so talk, even the term, even the term anti anti racism. Mm-hmm. You know, there's I'm not racist. I get it, but not not good enough. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm on board with you. Even the conversation you and I had last week, that just I've been playing around with that, and it got me thinking in, in another in another direction. Talk to me about anti racism. Talk to me about even how someone can begin to take that on versus mm-hmm. this place of no, I'm neutral. No, I know I'm good. Versus mm-hmm. like no, I'm going to actively move into that space. Mm-hmm. And right now, I've seen a lot of people who are just learning, and you know, people are. It's interesting because when I'm on, I'm in social media, um, women, business are usually my audience. I'm getting a lot of content of women in business and white women are opening up and they're enraged. I think people are going from listening, they get shame, they get guilt. And they're like, how do I live and not know? You know, that's what I like. If you really do the work and you come to this light bulb moment, you're going to be enraged. You're going to be like, how have I been functioning in this society? for 30 plus years and I had no idea that this was happening. You know, that's what we want to get to people to get to that level is to be enraged. And it's unfortunate that that all Black Lives Matter has this, it's almost a misnomer because people think like we're saying no lives matter. It's like, no, all lives matter. But right now we're focusing on the life that's in jeopardy that we see being consistently be attacked and justifiedly that's happened so we're focusing on that life right now can we just focus on that right now so we can have the statement that all lives matter because right now all is not most because right now we're saying most lives matter right and i think that's where people get i i I appreciating the 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 understanding of we need to narrow in on this because this is the problem we're not we're not not saying that it all matters but that isn't the world we live in so let's actually focus on where where there's been a visible like we know there's things there's a problem we we know that i'll give you another concept like right now what are we focusing on we're focusing on covid are we saying cancer doesn't matter are we saying (laughs) hiv doesn't matter no one's saying that but we're focusing on covid because that's what's killing people right now that's why we're doing that that's the but same doesn't mean all these it doesn't mean that all you these other diseases no, and all these yeah. other things aren't important same absolutely but, but we need to pick the most important issue of the day and we need to tackle it head on because when we are agreement that black people and justifiably being killed in the streets or experiencing racism in the workplace is not okay until we're all on the same page like that yes let's retire that saying because we are actually exercising that we believe in our action in our words that we agree that black lives matter because right now but the way we're functioning in society, we are not in agreement about that. We're not. That's why it's polarizing. It's interesting, it's interesting your experience around. You say white, white women are in, are in, are enraged. Any th- like that's interesting to hear you say that, and that's your that's your experience. Is there any thoughts on why that group specifically, or that that are going? You know what? Like enough. I've had it. I'm I'm getting I'm getting involved. Like, yeah. Just interesting. You said that when we chatted last time too, and I was left thinking about. It. I'm like, yeah. what is it for? What is it for that group that all of a sudden they've said enough is enough? I think it's twofold. I think white women have experienced discrimination in the workplace. I think they can understand, right. even though they are problematic, when we talk about like concepts like white woman tears and centering themselves because that's what anti-racism is like being able to center yourself and only yourself and that being weaponized right so i think women already can maybe understand discrimination in the workplace like that and i think for white men it's a difficult thing to do because they have to give up they have to really check themselves and like you have benefited been the main beneficiary of systemic racism let's be honest like you're the main benefactors and i think that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow because they don't why would you want to dismantle being on top 
you know, I challenge people saying how, and again, we are sitting inside ourselves, our experiences. Think, what am I going to lose if my work wants to now have conversations where I'm going to feel shame and feel guilt? Because I'm sure for a white man, that's where you're going to go. And be like, I'm not like that. And the defensiveness comes out, right? Because you have to sit in it and own it. And people don't want to sit in that place right now. Well, especially if it's something to your point, like even myself going through that, I, I had the conversation of white privilege with a very close friend of mine. He's like, no, it's just privilege. I'm like, no, it's white privilege. And I talked to another friend of mine. She goes, well, actually, Tyler, it's white male privilege, actually, is what you're really <laughs> dealing with. And I'm just like, I know. And I, and, and I have I have people like that in my life. They're like, oh, no, no, check yourself there. No, you missed a whole section here, Tyler. <laughs> and I love it because it forces me to think about it. But it's a new thought process. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the defensiveness and I don't, I don't, I don't like try to waste a lot of time on that. Cause I find it doesn't get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. But as I started even looking at it and going, okay, if this is real, what does it mean? It's almost like, I, I'll be honest. It's like, I'm seeing it for the first time in the mm-hmm. way that I'm seeing it now. Cause I pulled a layer of my, I pulled these glasses off and threw them aside and put on these other glasses. I'm like, Oh wow. I never even thought of it this way. I didn't have that. I didn't have the thinking that allowed me to see it. And that's a journey. Like you said, thank you for giving, thank you for being forgiving. I'm like, you're going to make mistakes, but at least I've got the glasses on or at least one shade on for sure. (laughs) I know our brain are wired to protect us, right? When I talk to my clients about marketing, like, I don't want to do a live video. I don't do this because yes, because our first reaction is to protect ourselves. That is universal. But it's us to like going to the gym. No one wants to wake up at five o'clock, but until you actually go against your brain's natural reaction, waking up at 5 a.m. and going to the gym after a week becomes easier, but your brain is protecting you from hurts. So what I want people, especially white men, to take away for this is that, yes, you have to come to acknowledgement. You have to give something up. Because I, I will, I will, I'm gonna be honest. That reality that they may have to give something up is some. That's the resistance. And when, and I think when that, when they hear that, what comes up is fear. Because you gotta say, I've lived, I've perpetuated racism. I've benefited from it, and I'm conscious of it. What do you want to do about it? What do you the fear do? of giving something up is very real in any context of life. But putting into this context, you're right, and that's so. It's very easy to just not. Do anything. Yeah. It's very easy as a white male in that position to go, well, yes, I agree. Mm, but deep down, status quo is fine with me, so I'm going to keep it there. I don't want to give anything up. I appreciate you boiling it down to like at the end of it, we're all having a human experience, and mm-hmm. but we're coming at it from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Totally. Oh, so, oh, I got so many thoughts, so many thoughts, so many questions, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But thank again, thank you for your willingness to kind of just be in this conversation with me and I'll be candid, be on this journey with me because it is a journey and I'm on it. And it's every day I wake up going, hmm, I'm going to let go of that thought and maybe let this thought take a little, take up a little real estate for a while and see what that looks like and feel and feels like and sounds like when I chat with friends. And I get the thought, then I go shop it around a bit, get some feedback, change my thought. That's my, that's my process. And in the last three weeks, that's been a daily, a daily occurrence. And I've sat a little bit on the sidelines with silence. I've written out some posts and I've written out some, I just, I wanted to learn more and I got to be very careful. Like that, that fear of the, you know, what is it? A friend of mine, she said, show me a perfectionist and I'll show you a procrastinator. Mm -hmm. This isn't about being perfect. This is about not procrastinating the journey. And I'm right in the middle of those two things. It's a bit of a tug of war to be very transparent, to be vulnerable about that. Totally. Because right now in the online business space where I'm seeing leaders of people with their courses, they program and no way would I say they're racist, but the way they're handling it, because they are white people, white men, they are terrified. And these are people I look up to. So they're conflicted and their businesses are coming, they people are coming for them. And these are people who already subscribe to their Kool-Aid, right? 
they're hurt. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen leaders that I look up to just like, oh my goodness, I'm so disappointed with your statement or your lack of statement. And it's, it's, it's somebody, like I said, I checked you out just to see if I could understand where you're coming from. And people will be looking to what you did in this time where this I'm learning, but I think it's going to be what you do after because right now it's a trend. And this is what I fear that anti-racism doing this black lives, it's going to be a trend. And when it's no more like a media headline, the people really care and did the work, we're going to see them still be there. So you're, you're hundred percent right. It was even, I, it's maybe it's an interesting comparison, but when all of a sudden I heard from Jason Kenny a few weeks ago, Oh, we're going to be going back to work. I had this fear that, Oh my God, I haven't done enough during this, tr this time that was like an external motivator motivating me to change. If you think about this racism conversation, if all of a sudden these external motivators go away, did we get enough done? Did we change enough mm -hmm. to then go, that was worth it because the world is better now than it was before or that I've learned and I've bettered myself. I see those two things as very like, humans are very interesting back to the complacency and back to, well, I'll just slip back into the, you know, when the world's on fire, you act and COVID lit it on fire. And now this current issue is mm -hmm. lighting it on fire. How do we keep it going? Is I think my conversation is exactly like this. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, some people like this rush the process. Let's get over it. Because it's pain, right? What's the yeah. first thing? Resistance and the fear of the brain is like, can we rush this and get over it and get back to normal people? It's like run through it and run away from it at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> but there's deep work. There's deep work happening. And it's not going to be just this one week or two weeks a month we're talking about it. Because right now we're seeing businesses dismantle their brands. We're already seeing businesses change their logos, changing their messages, apologizing because they're like, this is not appropriate anymore. Because people are having these glasses saying, and they're going to be calling out certain brands saying, hey, this slogan, this logo, it's not okay anymore. We've seen it this week. I'm sure you've seen so many brands change their messaging and logos this week. Because, And there was a time they would never have done that. Never have done that ever, right? And there's always the question is, you know, and I'm not begrudging that or saying that that's wrong. I'm glad to see that happen. But is it a response or is it actually a change of beliefs? And that's an you know, one one is a one is one is reactive. The other one will actually create long term change, and they both have to go together. It's just understanding what is driven from a true different belief, or just going, oh, I'm being forced externally to adapt. I'll I'll just move based on the the wind, versus actually, no, no, no. I've changed the way I believe, and then therefore this will be my future. And you know what? And I I'm very hopeful about that because if this is a form of lip service, your people who are becoming allies are going to call you out internally. So yes. that's the thing. That's why this and, that, and that's that accountability and checks and measures, right? That we need yeah. to keep in place. That's why this movement's different because yes, people could be just satisfying a trend, but the more people that are reading these anti-racism books who are going to becoming allies, they're in your workplace. They're among you. As a black person, it's so liberating that I don't have to, to carry this emotional labor. That's why this time is so unique mm. and so beautiful because finally it's not on us anymore. Right. You have yes. access to places I'm not going to be with people saying these inappropriate things that would fly. Now, I'm sure some people who would have said stuff and certain things are like, oh, yeah, I can't say that. Even though there's no person of color, black person in the room, they know they can't say that. So behavior is going to have to change. And let's not get into the different things in our society that all of a sudden were acceptable 10 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, that are not acceptable now. Mm. This absolutely is on that same, like just words. And like, you can't, you can't even, you know, different generations have different jokes that didn't mean the same, but we still have to learn that, you know what, 
That's fine that it, you did that 20, it's not fine. You did it 20 years ago, but you need to change the way because it's not acceptable. And we do self-police that way. And I think that, that that's where, that's only where change happens is when we start policing each other mm-hmm. <laughs> and then eventually start policing ourselves. Yeah. And then it becomes, exactly. Absolutely. So last word I want to explain, unpack a little bit is the word ally. It, it, mm-hmm. It's it's a word that like, oh, I know what that means. But mm-hmm. in the context of this, what do, what does it mean to you? Ally, you know, is I would have said it's before I think my I've evolved, right? I, I was saying, okay, my friend's not racist, they're an ally. And I realized I think all my friends are allies and I but I, like I said, they're on different levels of awareness. And I had the best conversations with one of my good friends, and I think she's a really great ally, and we're just talking about what's going. And know what I heard her say? She was telling a story, she was using words like, I don't want to center myself. She was using words that I could tell she read and and she's doing the work just by the words she was saying. Because I don't think people knew what centering themselves meant. I have friends saying, I understand the concept white woman tears. I do not know what that was. I don't believe that we've been doing this. So, you know, I have these funny conversations with my friends who are getting nuances and are subscribing to stuff they do not understand, you know, a week ago because they're doing their work. They're doing their work just by educating themselves, you know, mm-hmm. and I always anti-racism work with like choose your safety levels, but they feel safe enough to talk in their families and their homes with their children. I've got a, a colleague who lives in the South, deep South. They have their beliefs. She has people with credit flags and she's like, I am scared to say stuff in support of Black Lives Matter because I live in the South. I cannot put this target on my family. So she didn't feel safe because of where she lived, even though she's like, I said to her, you were having this conversation with your kids and family, you're starting the work. That is an ally. It's not even somebody who's overtly saying it. She came to me in my DMs and said, I'm doing the work. I'm talking to my kids and my family because it starts at home. It starts. The, and that's where belief change absolutely starts. Is <laughs> let's take the, let's take the next generation and give them a different filter, a mm-hmm. different way to look at the world. Because mm-hmm. this this is going to take cycles for yeah. sure. Like any any like any change. She's starting with herself, her children, because it starts with the home. People who do it in the home will do it in the workplace. People who do it in the workplace right. will do it in the community. The community will impact this province. The province will impact the country. The country will impact the world. It's layers, but it honestly starts individual level. Because if you don't care about this, it won't ripple through, right? If you as an individual yeah, don't care, it's not going to impact in the, in the magnitude it could potentially reach. So allyship, mm-hmm. even if you like, I don't understand, I have questions, just start educating yourself. That's where it starts. And then from there, you know what actions you can take to go to impact all these levels. Do the work. Do like the work. I know, I've heard it. I heard you say it time and time again, do, do the work. Do the work. And to, to, change, to change your beliefs, you've got to put new information into the computer. Because beliefs don't change until action, right? Like, you know, a yeah. lot of my clients are stuck in planning. And I do strategy. I'm like, where's the action? Where's the imperfect action? Where's the imperfect conversation? Where's the learning going to happen? Like you said, when 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 am I? When are you going to try something so you can make yeah. the mistakes so you can learn and then you can do it better the yeah. next day? And I think that, that that creates a lot of permission, even in what in what you said, because yeah. it's easy to sit back and go, "I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do nothing." For me, like these last three weeks, that's unacceptable. Doing nothing is not an option, but it, it's still easier. It's, it's well, it's the illusion of easy. Let's like let's be clear, it's an illusion <laughs> because nothing because there's always consequences. And I'm glad that we're at a cycle now mm-hmm. where I think that, like you said, you're going to get called out. You're going to be 
pointed to as someone who didn't take this seriously. And I think that's great because that's what some of us need to kick in the ass to make to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And people being triggered. Like I've my one of my old clients, she's amazing. She's a great ally. And she started holding a book reading circle of the book You, Me, and White Supremacy by Layla F. Setsad. Really great book. Mm-hmm. And she just did it for white people who wanted a space just to ask. Read this book because it's a heavy book. There's guilt and shame. And she wanted a place where people can say, I'm heavy. I have said those things. I have believed that. I've I've mm-hmm. done that. And they need a space to unpack it where they don't have to be apologetic or say, I'm sorry. We don't need your stories. Like, this is what we're at. Like, I think Black people right now, this moves like, we don't want a story. We want action. We want legislature. We want leadership on your boards. We want you to be hiring diverse people. We don't want sorry anymore. Like we, we beyond that, we want action now. I, I, that's so powerful. Yeah. we like, yes, we don't need your apologies. We need action. We need change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chido, so much to think about. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate your willingness to even have this conversation and to be um, allow me to stumble through it in my in my own way from the first time you and I chatted till now and the connection that it's given me to my own beliefs and the ability to see it slightly differently. I only hope, again, selfish audience of one, I, I will benefit from this conversation even if no one else listens. I think they will and I really hope that they do. Um, anyway, if someone wants to reach out to you, because again, I also don't want to miss an opportunity to promote you as a, as a, prof- as a businesswoman. So what was the best way for people to find you, get a hold of you, reach out to you? Okay. Um, they can find me. My website is cheetosamantha.com because I, I couldn't put my last name, Tyler. It was too much. It was too much. So of course, I had to think about that. I had to make sure it's easy for the people. Make sure I'm a, they know I'm a woman. So something I had to think about, right, with my name. So Cheeto Samantha.com and on all the interwebs of social media, Cheeto underscore Samantha. So they can find me there. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Any last words of words that you'd like to share with us? <sighs> Thank you so much, Tyler, because I know when we talked, you said you wanted to be a leader. And this is what leadership is. It's not being perfect. It's not even saying you know what your team needs to be or what your business looks to be about. It's like coming here saying, I want to be educated. And you have you just opened your arms to me with empathy and compassion. And we need leaders like that. We need people approaching this with empathy, compassion and wanting to be educated. So thank you for being open to do the work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's absolutely, absolutely my pleasure. Thank you.